The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Hey, it's been estimated that the average human being makes upwards of 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000, that's a lot. Now, many of those are, you know, subconscious decisions. We don't even realize that we're making them. Um, Others of them are inconsequential decisions, you know, like should I brush my teeth and then trim my beard or vice versa? It really doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter, but we still have to make that decision. Then there are some that are very consequential, all right, that actually fall into the category of of biblical morality, decisions we might say that the, the Bible is very clear on. But then lastly, there's this messy middle category, uh, decisions that, that aren't subconscious, they aren't inconsequential, and yet the Bible isn't clear on them. For example, um, the Bible doesn't come right out and tell you who to marry. There's no index in the back for that, you know, just like listed by name or something like that. If you are married, the, the Bible doesn't tell you how many kids you ought to have. Um, it doesn't tell you when to buy a new car, or if you should even buy a new car at all, or go with the used one, Right? Uh, vocationally, you could be faced with two job opportunities, all right? Or, or relationally, you could be faced with two living situations. Neither route is sinful. Um, you're free to do either, and yet that decision, all these decisions will have a massive impact on your life, won't they? Uh, it's pithy, but leadership guru John Maxwell says, it well, actually, when he says, life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. <laughs> Life is a matter of choices, and every choice you make makes you. Now, that can be terrifying, actually, can't it? I mean, none of us wants to make wrong choices. None of us wants to make wrong decisions. We'd very much prefer to know exactly what to do in every single circumstance. And as Christians, we really wish the Bible would tell us. Just tell us, right? Well, when we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament... What we find is that God spoke to his Old Testament people, broadly speaking, in three ways. You had the priests, okay, who taught God's law. You had the prophets who declared God's word. And then you had sages, uh, wise men who, who gave counsel. Jeremiah mentions all three of these in Jeremiah 18, 18. And, and through the law and the prophets, we get massive truths about who God is and what he's like and, 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 and what he wants for us. And, and we get standards for living rightly before him. We also get, through, through the reading of these parts of the scripture, broad strokes of the, the, the meta-narrative of God's work in redemptive history. But we need more. I, I love how the late Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner put this in his introduction to his commentary on Proverbs. He says, we live in a world where there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broad signs of the prophets, and yet decisive in personal dealings details, see decisions that matter, that, that tell us how to live, how to handle life's problems and life's perplexities, how to deal with difficult people in uncomfortable circumstances, what to say, how to act, how to express ourselves. Well, listen, praise God that he cares down to that level of detail in your life. He cares about nuance. He cares about moment-by-moment stuff in in your life down there where there aren't clear rules that guide us. See, you can can seek to live with with holiness 
All right, you, you can uprightness, you can be killing sin in your life, worshiping Jesus, showing up here regularly, walking closely with Christ in the daily devotional aspects of your life and your communion with Him, and still make a mess out of things. <laughs> make a mess out of things in your life, in your family, in your workplace, or your neighborhood. And it's because of all this that God saw fit in his infinite wisdom to put a book like Proverbs in the Bible for us. And to remind us that all scripture is breathed out by him and and, and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and for training in righteousness that we might be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, we're going to be spending nine weeks together this summer in the book of Proverbs, and today, all I want to do is, is ask and answer three questions. Number one, what is Proverbs? Right? It's different than the rest of the Bible. It's not like other books of the Bible, is it? Uh, what are we to make of it? What is it? Number two, what's the goal of Proverbs? What's the purpose of this strange and unique book of the Bible? How is it supposed to be useful to us? And then number three, what's the key? What's the key to Proverbs? If you spend any amount of time uh, reading Proverbs, you know it's a strange book to read. It's not narrative. It's not a letter. It's not law. It's different. And therefore, what's the key to us figuring out how we're to read it, how we're to make use of it? So first, what is it? Uh, Well, chapter 1, verse 1 starts us off in the right direction. As we open this book of the Bible, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So what's contained here in these pages of Scripture, we're told very plainly, these things called Proverbs. That's what they're called, right? Verse 1 also refers here to Solomon, who wrote most, but not all, of the Proverbs contained in this book. Solomon, we're reminded, was king of Israel. He was also David's son. Uh, um, It was under Solomon's kingship that the first temple was built in Jerusalem, if you know some Old Testament history, right? Solomon was wise, he was extremely wise. If you know your Bible, you know God made him wise. 1 Kings 3 verse 3 tells us that Solomon loved the Lord. He, he loved God. He loved the Lord. That he walked in the statutes of his father David. And we know David was a, was a man who's described as after, a man after God's own heart. Solomon tried hard to follow in that. Now, we know later in Solomon's life, he turned away from that, didn't he? But he's described also in the scripture as loving the Lord, walking in the statutes of David. And at one point, God appeared to Solomon at Gibeon, and he said to Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. What if God did that to you? He just showed up to you and said, hey, anything you want, just tell me. <laughs> Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon asked for understanding. Solomon asked for discernment. And God gave it to him. He was made wise beyond all measure. First Kings chapter 4 says that, that he was surpassing the wisdom of everyone else. Wiser than all. People would come to hear and learn from Solomon because he was so wise. So Solomon asked for wisdom. God gave it to him. And God wants to give it to us through him, through the Proverbs we have here in this book. Now, what exactly is a proverb? Well, it's a, it's a short, salty saying, isn't it? These are short, salty sayings, and the majority of the book is made up of these, these short, salty, memorable sayings that are observations about how life works. And this really takes off beginning in chapter 10. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 10 in your Bible, we'll see this. Um, If you're looking for, for Proverbs, it comes 
right after the book of Psalms in, in your Bible. Proverbs 10 begins on page 533 in those pew Bibles. But if you're looking at, pay, at Proverbs 10, just skimming through it a bit, you see verse 1 deals with a son and his parents. Verse 2 is talking about money. Verse 4 is about a slackard. Verse 7 is about how the righteous are going to be remembered. Verse 9 is about walking in integrity. Verse 11 is about speech. Verse 15 is about wealth and on and on, right? Each verse, each proverb nearly is dealing with a different topic. Do you see that? That's because they're individual sayings. And the trick for us when we get to that part of Proverbs is to to kind of do some work to, to pull them together a little bit, multiple Proverbs even on a specific topic, and turn them over and pray and reflect upon them, take them in and let them take us in and grow wise. Wise. See, Proverbs are not rules. That's an important distinction to make. They're not law. They're not universal absolute promises. So for example, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Some of you might know this one by heart, right? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That's not a universal absolute promise. I wish it was, right? But we have people in this room, in this church, who have trained up a child in the way that they should go. Not perfectly, but by God's grace, the best they could. And that child has departed from the faith. Now, terrible theology would say, you did it wrong. Terrible theology would say, it says, so right here, you did it wrong. But the one who knows what Proverbs is, that it's not universal promises, knows in general this is true. Like In general, this is wise. Every Christian parent should, should seek to train up a child in the way that they should go. And sometimes, maybe even most times, oftentimes, when the child is older, they will not depart from it. In other words, it's wise to train up your child in the way that they should go. It's wise. I'll give you another one to stress the point. Some of you are young enough in here, and you got young enough kids, you're like, whatever, we're going to do it perfect. We're, we're, we're nailing it, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, i got Proverbs 22, 6 to prove my point. Well, apply that same logic to this one. Proverbs 12, verse 21. No ill befits the righteous, befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. So if trouble comes into your life, right, using the universal absolute promise approach to the Proverbs, what would be true? You're wicked. (laughs) If you were just more righteous, you wouldn't be in this mess, see? Sadly, there's Christians out here who believe that nonsense. Not out here, out there, hopefully not out here. Maybe, maybe there are. Sadly, there's, there's Christians in the world who believe that nonsense because there's pastors in the world who teach that nonsense. And yet we know that's a wrong approach to Proverbs because Jesus himself said in this life, we will have trouble. We will, even as followers of him, even, even as Christians. Those counted righteous before God by the blood of Jesus, trouble comes into our lives. Doesn't mean we're wicked. Jesus doesn't promise to take away all the trouble from us in this lifetime. He promises to be with us in the midst of the trouble but he doesn't promise to take it all away until he returns. And so we have to be careful with handling the Proverbs. We, we can't be poor theologians in handling the Proverbs. It's a very, it's a very different and unique book. It's, it's, it's not a book of manners. I mean, it's not full of moral absolutes or answers on exactly what to do in any given circumstance. In fact, if we look over at chapter 26, verses 4 through 5, we, we read in verse 4, 
answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then in the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, <laughs> lest he be wise in his own eyes. Which is it? Are we to answer a fool or not? All right? Well, it depends. And we don't super love that, do we? Um, see, we like black and white. We like clean cut. We, we, we like, um, it, any, any one proverb sounds black and white, doesn't it? And yet life is filled with gray. And as you read all the proverbs, these, these two right here are, are just right next to each other, so it makes it really clear, you get a sense of the gray. It takes wisdom to know what to do in the gray. Wisdom, to use this example from chapter 26, wisdom helps you to know what kind of fool you're dealing with. Proverbs, we might say, that the Proverbs are situationally specific. That they're meant to be used in different situations according to wisdom. They don't universally apply all, everywhere all the time. And part of wisdom is learning how to respond in specific situations. Now, there are some universal truths in Proverbs. Generally speaking, anytime there's a reference to the Lord, to Yahweh, okay, um, then the proverb is most likely universal, but those are fewer and far between in Proverbs. It's also true that living in accordance with the Proverbs is a, is a better way to live. It's the, it's the best way to live. And the reason for that is that the Proverbs reflect, generally speaking, God's created order. Like they teach us, don't, don't go against God's created order. He's designed the world to, to work in a certain way. He created it all, remember? And if God is real, and he is, and if he created everything, and he did, to go against his created order isn't just bad for you, it's dumb. It's foolish, Proverbs is going to tell us. And so hopefully you're beginning to see that this book, reading this book and using this book is, is maybe a bit more complicated than we first anticipate, right? It's, it's not a collection of Christian fortune cookie messages, you know? Um, it's not a manual for decision-making, per se. You, you can't just bring your problem or your situation or your decision to the book of Proverbs, read through it really quick, you know, and, 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 until you get a good one, and then off you go. It's not like a Twitter feed, where you like the ones that you like, and you retweet a few really good ones, and you just ignore the rest. No, we need it all. It's the entirety of the book of Proverbs that is the word of God. It's the entirety of the book of Proverbs that is to be working in us and shaping us and forming us. Now, that's actually countercultural. Um, we live in an era of quick fixes and quick decisions. And Proverbs teaches us that we haven't thought nearly long enough about nearly anything. We live as self-satisfied, self-sufficient Googlers. We have a question, punch it into the Google machine, bammo, answer, right? Proverbs doesn't work like Google. It doesn't work like Twitter. No, in our fast-paced, always-connected, self-sufficient world where information streams at us literally at the speed of light, thanks, Allo, right? As we take one factoid after another and try to piece together as quickly as possible a worldview and a way of life and thinking, Proverbs calls out to us and says, slow down. Slow down. Observe. 
contemplate, reflect. This isn't a race. Slow down and pray. Ask for wisdom. Seek wisdom. Seek wisdom in this book. It's what it's for. In fact, this summer on Sunday mornings, what we're going to be doing is focusing just on chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs, which incidentally are actually longer discourses in Proverbs. They're not just those collected of individual sayings. And chapters 1 through 9 are really like an invitation to the rest of the book. All right, it's motivation for digging into the rest of the book. That's what we want out of this series, to motivate you to dig deeper and slowly into the book of Proverbs. Which leads us really well into question number two. What's the goal of Proverbs? What's the point? Why is this um, strange collection of sayings in, in the Bible? Well, thankfully, the book of Proverbs leaves us no doubt as to what its purpose is. All right, It spells it out really clearly in our text today. Look at verse 2. What's the goal of Proverbs? To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Listen, to sum all that up, Proverbs is to make you wise. The goal of Proverbs is to make you wise. And, we, and, and wisdom is this, is this rich, complex concept that isn't easily summarized, which is why all the rest of these words in verses 2 through 5 act in a way as synonyms to wisdom, and they're helpful. We'll look at each of these in a minute, but let me just give us a, a starting point definition for wisdom. This comes from Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman. He says, we'll begin with the basic idea that wisdom is the skill of living. The skill of living. It's a practical knowledge that helps one know how to act and how to speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and the skill to handle them when they present themselves. Wisdom also includes the ability to interpret other people's speech and writing in order to react correctly to what they're saying to us. Hmm. That's a pretty good definition. Rolled up is the skill of living. Tim Keller, quoting Von Rod, I believe, describes wisdom as wedding thought and experience to become competent with regard to the realities of life. Think about that. Skillful in living... Competent with regard to the realities of life. That's wisdom. And the goal of Proverbs is to help us grow in it. All of us. We see the addressees of Proverbs here in our text too. We should locate ourselves here in this text, right? Verse 4 speaks of giving prudence to the simple and discretion to the youth. Verse 5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning. So whether you're simple or wise, whether you're young or old, Proverbs is for you. It's for you. If you're a brand new Christian or feel like one all the time, right? Uh, Proverbs is for you. If you're thinking to yourself, I didn't even know where to find Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs is for you. It's for you. If you're just graduated in here this morning, Proverbs is for you, right? If you're, if you're young, young in life, young in faith, if you're still being formed, which is most of us in this room, right? But especially even the youth in this room, it's for you. If you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're in college, 
If you're, if you're in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s, if you're single, if you're married, if you're trying to raise kids, little kids, big kids, old kids, young kids, it's for you. If you're wise, it's for you too. It's for all of us. Like if, if this isn't your first rodeo through the book of Proverbs, if you've been meditating on a chapter of Proverbs a day, every day of your life for a decade, right? If you've got a PhD in Proverbs, it's still for you. First off, because you're probably still not as wise as you think you are, and even more pointedly, let the wise hear and increase. Increase in learning. You can always grow more wise. We can all always grow more wise. The last kind of person that's addressed by the book of Proverbs or described by the book of Proverbs is the fool. And we'll get more into the simple and the fuel, uh, uh, the fool more in a couple weeks. But for now, just know Proverbs is for all of us. It's, it's for you. It's for you. Now, here's what I want to do. I want, I want you to ask yourself a question before we go further. All right, I, I want you to ask yourself one question. Is, it's this. What is one area of life in which I need to grow in wisdom? What's one area? Think about that. Not just, not just something you need a quick answer on. Not something that's got to be decided tomorrow, you know. But what's an area of life that you need to grow in wisdom? Having skilled living, competent in regard to the realities of life. Parenting might be a popular one for some in the room. Singleness might be another. Sexuality, finances, work, your tongue, how to use it, how to not use it, friendship. (laughs) What's one area of life in which you need to grow in wisdom? And would you begin praying now that God would use this summer to grow you in exactly that? (laughs) That God would grant you wisdom. Now, let's talk a little bit more about this concept of wisdom and and what it is. Uh, Kidner, in his commentary, describes verses 2 through 5 in our text as a rainbow of constituent colors. Another commentator calls it a a, a rainbow of co-referential terms. I don't know if they got together to talk about rainbows when they were writing those or what, but, you know, the rainbow imagery apparently. Meaning, all these words, okay, wisdom, instruction, insight, and so on, they shade into one another. And they flesh out what it means to be wise, to, to know there in verse 2 means to become conscious of, aware of, to observe and perceive and to realize, even to experience. Again, Proverbs wants to make you wise. The word for wisdom is the Hebrew word hukmah, and it's, it's more than smarts. All right, we've already said it's skilled living, competence that understands how reality works. Instruction in verse 2 includes correction and discipline. And it adds to this rainbow called wisdom, the notion that wisdom is it's hard to get. It's painful. Um, it's pain, it can be a painful process. It includes discipline, being chastened, rebuked, corrected. And we want to receive that. We want to receive instruction in wise dealing, correction in our behavior, also as it pertains to justice and righteousness and equity. You know, we hear a lot about justice and equity today. And the, the word of God tells us right here, if you want to grow in these areas, you're going to need wisdom. 
Instagram alone is not going to cut it. Like sola Instagram is, is not one of our guiding principles around here, right? Insight is another color of this rainbow called ours, uh, called wisdom. Uh, insight is the ability to notice distinctions and shades of difference where others see only black and white. It's being able to notice multiple options when others, less wise, can perhaps see only two. Insight is that aspect of wisdom that adds nuance. It breaks you out of oversimplified binary solutions that want to so quickly categorize everything as good or bad, right or wrong. Prudence is the word that begins verse 4. By the way, if you're using a translation different than the ESV, you're going to notice a lot of differences in translation. Okay, we preach from the ESV around here, so it might be helpful for you to, 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 to stick with that on Sunday mornings. Um, but prudence, verse 4 of the ESV, carries this idea of shrewdness. That's a part of wisdom too. It's the ability to use reason to navigate problems, carefully considering a situation without rushing straight into it. It's a cool-headedness. Next is knowledge. This one's important to understand. Knowledge, knowledge of, of the world, knowledge of God, knowledge that he is the creator and that we were born into a pre-existing order. You'll never be wise without knowledge. You'll never be wise without knowledge of God. Right? Proverbs comes to us not as um, something from a blog post or for some publisher. It comes to us in the word of God. And so the, the overarching context for the book of Proverbs is the word of God. And so we need knowledge of God, knowledge of him and how he ordered the world and, and knowledge of our relationship to him. We need God's knowledge, what he's revealed to us so that we know how that order works. And that doesn't just mean memorizing Bible stories and Bible verses. Wisdom isn't less than knowledge. It includes knowledge, but it's also the right use of knowledge. Proverbs itself tells us this in Proverbs 26, verse 9. Like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard. Ouch! <laughs> That's what it's like for a proverb in the mouth of fools. Okay, so we're not just after rote memorization of the Proverbs. You can't be wise without knowledge, but knowledge alone is not wisdom. You can know a lot of Proverbs by heart, whip them out on the spot, just the right time, and yet if you're wielding them unwisely, you're still a fool. The old Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, said it this way. He said, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There's no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Hmm. Back to chapter 1, verse 4. Another color in our rainbow called wisdom is discretion. Discretion, I like to think of discretion as a sanctified caginess that isn't easily fooled. It's being wise to anticipate what's coming, what's on the other side, without, without the danger of overconfidence on the one hand, and therefore storming right in, or the paralysis of overcaution on the other. It includes the notion of foresight and not being fooled by the currents of the world. Verse 5 again, let the wise, those who are wise, let them hear and increase in learning. The word learning here involves comprehending something to the level that you can teach it to others. 
That's part of being wise, isn't it? So growing in wisdom in order to help others grow in wisdom. And then lastly, let the wise hear and the one who understands obtain guidance. Okay, knowing how to steer the right course. Collectively, this is what it means to grow in wisdom. It's skilled living, competent with regard to the realities of life. It's more than intellect or IQ. It's also EQ. It's hard to get, but as we get it, we grow in insight and nuance, seeing life with a a greater sense of gradation, knowing how to navigate difficult situations and people. And yet it's more than knowledge. It's the right use of knowledge, not easily fooled. And then as those who are wise, it's continuing to grow and to guide others into wisdom, steering them the right course, um, steering the right course for yourself and for others. I, I love how... I love how Ray Ortland, pastor, um, how he summarizes all this. He says, wisdom is the grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. Who doesn't want that? I sure do. The grace of Christ beautifying our daily lives. That's what Proverbs is for, right? Proverbs is all about having trusted in God, Right? Having been counted right before him as Christians through faith in Jesus, having been justified, to use the familiar word from our series in Romans, how then shall we live? Beautiful lives for God. That's the answer. Wise lives for his glory. This is really the key to Proverbs, okay? So the goal of Proverbs is to make you wise. But to make any progress towards this goal, you got to have the key. What's the key? Well, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, right, in the New Testament, one of the most striking things that Jesus said was in Matthew 12, 42, where he says, referring to himself, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 calls Jesus the wisdom of God. He is wisdom incarnate. Wisdom then, in its fullest sense, is about a relationship, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus. This is why James says in James 1.5, if you lack wisdom, don't hit up Google Don't look in on yourself and and seek to find the answers inside of you in some way, shape, or form. No, he says, ask God. Ask God if you lack wisdom. Wisdom ultimately comes from God. Getting wisdom, therefore, is about a relationship with God. It's about a relationship, which is exactly what Proverbs 1 verse 7 says. Look at it with me. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. What a strange way to describe a relationship. (laughs) And yet, this is the motto that repeats 14 times throughout the book of Proverbs. It's the key. Strange key. Why say it that way? Why, Why describe the relationship in terms of fear? Well, there's two kinds of fear in the world and in the Bible. All right, there's negative fear and positive fear. Negative fear is like what I have of snakes, okay? Uh, The technical term is ophidiophobia. I'm terrified of the little suckers, all right? Just am, absolutely. I'm afraid of what they'll do to me. They're unpredictable. They don't have legs, and yet they move, and you never know what they're gonna do, right? 
Um, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. Now, a lot of people have a negative fear of God like that. Maybe even you. You're terrified of him. He's unpredictable in your eyes. You're not sure you can trust him. You're not sure what he'll do. And therefore, you'll never come to him for wisdom. Oh, maybe once in a while, like a genie in the bottle kind of way, right? If you're in a jam, that's not what we're talking about here. You haven't called on Jesus yet. Which means, according to the second half of Proverbs 1.7, we don't mean this in any overly dogmatic or hurtful way, but according to the second half of verse 7 in chapter 1 of Proverbs, you're a fool. You're foolish. You're foolish, actually, likely because the cross is foolishness to you. Maybe foolish as in it seems silly, it seems ridiculous. Or maybe foolish because it seems way too good to be true for you. And as long as the cross of Christ is foolish to you, you'll never be wise. You're a fool. No no matter how smart you think you are, you, you actually, in a way, despise wisdom because you despise Jesus. You don't trust Jesus, who is true wisdom. Remember, he's wisdom incarnate. Positive fear, on the other hand, is the complete opposite of that. Um, positive fear... Do you know that feeling when you meet somebody famous? When you, when you, come, like when you come up to somebody who's famous. Um, you're, in your pres- you're in their presence. Somebody really, really important and you're in their presence. There's this weird kind of giddy. Did anybody else get this? Is it just, okay, me and Jake. Me and Jake get this. So let me and Jake tell you about this, right? I, I was at my daughter's district track meet um, a few weeks ago. Uh, both my daughters were, were running there and I saw Tim Miles there. Yeah, Tim Miles. Yeah. And um, he has a son who runs track for, for Lincoln East. Some of you are like, who's Tim Miles? You know? <laughs> uh, he used to be the head basketball coach for University of Nebraska for like seven years. Okay? So it's not like just a drop in the pan. He was here for a while. You probably don't know who he is. I'm sorry, this is Nebraska. Okay, so when we talk about famous people, we've got Larry the Cable Guy and then people who surround Husker Athletics. That's it. That's what we're... That's what we're that's, that's the well I have to draw from for sermon illustrations. Okay? So I'm at this meet and Tim Miles is there. Must have flown in for the day or something like that because he's coaching at San Diego State or something like that now, I think. And I see him. And my oldest daughter had just run the 200-meter dash. And I was down kind of by the fence, kind of like cheering her on, you know, cheering her on. And, and the girls go first in the 200-meter dash. And so she's done, and it's his son's turn. So I'm walking back to the bleachers to my seat, and here comes Tim. He's walking towards me. We're going to cross paths, right? And, and as we're approaching, as I kind of approach up to him, he, he looks at me, and I'm thinking, is that Tim Miles? Is that, is that who I think it is? And he looks at me, and, and he says, uh, hi there. <laughs> to, to me, I think, right? Um, and, and, and I, in the most, like, unawkward possible way that I probably could, I, I look back to him, I said, hi there. Okay. What's wrong with us, you know? <laughs> Like, what is, the, what is the deal with us as, human, as people? What is it that makes us so awkward in the presence of someone who's famous? Positive fear. That's what it is. I don't want Tim Miles to think I'm an awkward moron. Even though I am. Yeah. But I don't want him to. I don't want him to. Somehow, for some reason, for some weirdness, I care 
what this guy who doesn't even know me thinks about me, right? That's actually scratching the surface at a positive fear for God. You're in his presence. And what changes it from negative fear where you're terrified of God in his presence or you don't trust him, what changes it from negative to positive is trusting in Jesus and the foolishness of the cross. Where, and this is what the gospel teaches us, everything we had to worry about before is taken care of. (laughs) All our sin is forgiven. All the, the condemnation that we stood under and deserved is gone. When you trust in Jesus, God the Father doesn't just say to you, you know, hi there in passing, and you, you think maybe he's talking to you. No, he opens up his famous arms, and he says, get on in here. And when you do, there's still a positive fear. A reverence, an awe. You're not afraid in the world. Like, this isn't Yahweh-a-phobia, but you want to please him because you adore him. You revere him. You, you love him. You really want to live the way that he wants you to live. And so you ask him, out of a close and intimate relationship marked by reverent fear, Teach me, O Lord, your ways. You you open his word to to a book like Proverbs and humbly, awe-filled, you ask, give me wisdom, Father. Give me wisdom. You commune with Jesus in your daily devotional time, spending time with wisdom himself, asking, seeking instruction, insight, prudence, Knowledge, discretion. You pray, speak to me, Lord, by your spirit, through your word. Make me wise. Beautify my life. Do you see the key? Do you see how it works? The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Without it, there's nothing but foolishness. And then one more thing, that word beginning, it doesn't mean it's the first stage and then we leave it behind. No, it means the fear of the Lord is the first and controlling principle in your life. It's not just the doorway, it's the pathway. It's a new beginning when you trust in Jesus and it never ends. You're to wallpaper the reality of your life with Proverbs 1-7. And live there. The goal of Proverbs is to make you wise, but to make any progress towards this goal, you got to have the key. Let's pray. Father, give us the key. Right fear of you, positive, awe-filled, reverent fear of you. Not, not Not the kind that scares us away, but the kind that draws us in. Help us now to to know and to trust that that kind of relationship comes only through Jesus and trusting in him. And help all those who are here who have placed faith in Jesus to know and to trust and to come to you for wisdom.
Make us wise, O Lord. Beautify our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.